Sometimes we have a narrow definition of how we expect God to work in our lives. We think that He's only going to speak to us in one way or do it, do things in one way with certain people. But I find that God uses anything and everything to bring us back to Him. That's today on the Tower Hill Podcast. This is Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thanks so much for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. For many in the area, school starts this week, and teachers and kids alike are telling stories about those crazy back-to-school dreams that seem to pop up late in the summer every year. You know those dreams where you wander and wander, but you can't find your classroom? Or the one where you show up on the first day and there's a test that you didn't study for or even know about? Or maybe the really even crazier one where you show up to school in your underwear. Ah! But no matter how crazy these dreams are, we all have them. And at some point, we know that they're just anxious thoughts about starting the new year. But have you ever had a dream or a vision or maybe even just a feeling that was more than just junk floating around in your head? More than just a reflection or a memory of events in your life? Have you ever felt like it was a message And how can we tell the difference between this meaningful dream and the meaningless dream? Well, the Bible tells how the Apostle Paul had a vision and how he instantly knew it was a message from God. This week, Pastor Jason talks about how Paul reacts to the vision and how his story relates to our own story about following God's direction for our own lives today. Let's check it out right now. This is our final installment of the 12 Stone series. All summer long, we've been talking about the response. How do, how do our lives, when God speaks into them, how do we respond? What does that look like? And we've been looking back to stories of the Old and New Testament, about stories of those who came before us that help us understand our story and give meaning to our story. And uh, by, by the way, how many of you were at the Fireman's Fair on Friday? How many volunteered at the Fireman's Fair? Yeah. Let's give it up for all of our volunteers. We had 50 volunteers. Even one very pregnant volunteer right there. Shout out. That's right. Amazing. You're a rock star. So, uh, yeah, it was really great. But, you know, the Fireman's Fair always signals the end of summer. And I'm like, where'd summer go? What happened? Time is just moving along. It's kind of like Christmas when you're a kid. Christmas, you can't wait for it to come. When you're an adult, you're like, didn't we just do Christmas? Time kind of changes. It seems to speed up on us. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that today because we're talking about what it means to follow God's purpose, God's vision for your life. Speaking of vision, have you ever had a dream or a vision that you felt had special meaning? That it was different. It was different than the other dreams that you have. And you woke up and you're like, whoa, what was that? That felt very, if that felt like it had some direction behind it. It felt like it had, somebody's trying to tell me something. We don't often talk about that here. I don't know if it's because we're at church and we're supposed to be like laced up and we're not the snake handling, tambourine shaking kind of church. I, I don't know, like nothing against them, but that's just not us. And so we don't really talk about kind of these supernatural things that much. Like what happens when in a dream... God gives you some kind of direction to move forward. Because if you think about what a vision is, a vision is simply a dream with direction. 
A vision is a dream with direction. So, if that's true, a God-sized vision is a God-inspired dream with a God-sized direction. I'll say that again. A God-sized vision that God's giving you is a God-inspired dream with, God, with a God-sized direction. So a couple of things I, I want to say first off is you might feel like, well, I don't know, I never had a dream like that. That's okay. When I say a, a God-inspired vision, that could be something that's unfolded more in your heart than in your dreams, in your brain. It might be something that over time you feel a gravitational pull towards something that God is calling you to do and asking you for that response. And what does that mean, a God-sized direction? Well, it means that it's going to go in the trajectory of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is that moment where Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, your job is to go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, that's your job. That is all of our, that's our created purpose. And so what he's saying is, whatever, if, and this is a litmus test for me to know whether or not, is this just like my weird subconscious dreams, or is this a God dream? Is this a God vision? And my litmus test is, is this drawing me on a path of the Great Commission? Am I going to help fulfill the Great Commission to make more disciples by following this dream? That's how I know that it is a God-sized direction. Um, it, you know, it's sort of like, you know, I had this dream last night that I was on sleeping on top of a pile of cash. And I wonder if that's what God has, you know. <laughs> or uh, I don't want to pick on, I won't say his name, but that pastor who's like, I need a new Gulfstream jet. Like everybody has to give for my new Gulfstream jet. I have a Gulfstream jet. I, wow. Anyway, moving on. How do you know that that's a God-sized dream or a God-given vision is that, again, it's going in this direction. So I had a moment in my life. I've had a couple of these in my life. They don't happen very often for me. Some of you, they, have, they do happen often. And some of you have had really powerful experience of this. But I had a time when I had a dream and I felt like it was a direct vision casting of God into my life. And it was right after I became a Christian. So 19 years old, I'm working at summer camp my first job as a brand new Christian was to lead Bible study for 10-year-olds. Talk about trial by fire. Okay, you never read the Bible? <laughs> Here you go. Here's a bunch of 10-year-olds. Figure it out. That was, uh, that was my call to ministry. That was my response. But early on, I think it was the first week that I was there, I, I had a dream that I, I remember to this day because I felt like it was a vision planting of God giving me vision for my life. And that was, so at this camp, there's a big large field where we play games with the kids. And in my dream, the entire camp, all the kids were out there on the field. And, I was, and as I was looking at them all, I noticed that they all had some kind of injury or ailment. Some of them were on crutches. Some of them were bandaged. So they had like a, their arm in a sling. Some had casts. Some had wrappings around their head as if they'd been injured. Some had cuts and were badly bruised and hurt. And I'm going around to all the other counselors in my dream, and I'm saying, what happened? What happened to these kids? Did, was there some accident? It looked like an ER field, you know, of, that you see in the movies of all these injuries and trauma. And every counselor I went up to would be like, what are you talking about? Stop messing around. What are you saying? I'm like, no, can't you see? Like, all of these, 
All these kids, they have these injuries. What happened? What are we supposed to do? Jason, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, what, what are you saying, injuries? I don't see anything. Don't you see the, the, their hurts, like the bandages and everything? Like, I don't see anything. Stop messing around. And it became apparent in that dream that they couldn't see what I could see. And I woke up. And I immediately felt that this was a dream that had some special meaning to me. That this was a vision that God planted in me. And my interpretation of that dream was, your job, Jason, is to go tend to the hurts of those kids that no one else can see. And from that point on, I had decided I was going to serve and went on to a 20-year career in youth ministry based off of what I felt that dream to be. It was powerful. And when God gives and plants a vision in your life, it can be very powerful. But it's one thing to have the vision or to feel that pull in your heart to do something, to change career paths, to change your a relationship, to change whatever it is that you're looking to change. It could be really hard to do that, but you feel this gravitational pull. And then the, the real kicker is, are you going to follow it? Or are you going to ignore it as just a dream? I want to share with you a time when the Apostle Paul had a vision. God spoke to him in visions from time to time. And he had this dream that I want to share with you. Chapter 16 of Acts, verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This was no light undertaking. So you got to remember, Paul's on this missionary journey, and it's on land. It's by foot. Let's go ahead and show that map of his missionary journey. So if you could see uh, where he starts over here in Jerusalem, and he goes north up through Syria, which is in the yellow, past Tarsus, all the way up, and he gets to Troas, the northwest corner of Asia. That is the farthest at that time he had ever been. They had gone a long, long way to fulfill what they felt God was asking them to do. And here we are. He has this vision of a man in Macedonia. If you see, Macedonia is across the Aegean Sea. And he heads for Philippi. So he had to figure out a way to get across the sea to a place that was further than he had ever been in his life. And to a place that really didn't have any Jewish culture in it. So at least when he went from place to place, he could stop at synagogues. And it talked about him often going to the synagogue and and talking with the people who were there. There was no synagogue in Philippi. It was straight Roman culture all the way. And probably a great deal of prejudice against the Jews and their religious beliefs. But he sees this vision of, of a guy in Macedonia saying, come. And they pack up and they go. Here's what happens there. Verse 16. Once when they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. (laughs) This is awesome. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. I want to pause on that right there. I have a lot of questions. So Paul, did he just like not care until he was annoyed enough? By the way, I love that because I feel like I can relate a little bit. I don't know about you. Um, but yeah, like, what, what, what was that about? Did he not care that this woman had this spirit? And then was she really doing anything all that bad? I mean, she was saying the truth. These uh, servants of the Most High God, and they'll tell you the way to be saved. Like, what was so bad about that? Well, there are a few things. One, she's a female slave, so she is in servitude against her will. She has an evil spirit in her that's giving her supernatural ability. And in the end, it is tearing her apart. But why does he wait then, if that's the case? Why does he wait till he's annoyed? Well, the reason is, once you mess with somebody's money, so if he casts out this spirit, she will no longer have the ability to do the fortune telling. Once you mess with someone's money, he knew it was going to go south in a hurry. But finally, I guess, he had had enough. And the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, if this would have happened in one of the places Paul had been before, I would like to think that there would be a little more of a trial. Here in Philippi, you definitely get the sense that uh, they just did not care. Because right away, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And it's at this point that I wonder, was anybody traveling with Paul and Silas thinking to themselves, did Paul really see a vision, or was that just a dream? I think we got the vision wrong, folks. This ain't going so well. I don't know if any of you guys notice, like, we were just beaten. We're in jail. We're in the stocks. Like, it just shows, honestly, it shows how weak I am. Because <laughs> if I were in that situation, I'd be like, I'm out. I like to think I'd have the strength. But, man, I don't know. I don't like being beaten. It's a strong deterrent. But he puts them in the inner cell. And I wonder if they are thinking that on some level. Like, did I hear God wrong? How many of you have ever had that experience where you felt like you heard God say something to you, gave you a vision, and you set forward, and then it's like all hell breaks loose. Everything starts to go wrong. And you think to yourself, did I get it wrong? Because that's the point where most people turn around and give up. I want to show you what Paul and Silas did. Here's what they did next. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying 
and singing hymns to God. By their actions, no matter what they were thinking in their head, by their actions, they were still all in. Singing hymns and praying. What's that about? It's about worshiping and giving thanks. Really? Really. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Ah, here comes God. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now, just being honest with you, if that were me and the earthquake comes and the chains come loose, here's what I'm thinking. Peace! Thank you, God. You showed up. You freed me super. Okay, we got the vision right. We're good, folks. We got it all set. Okay, let's, we out of here. On to the next city, quickly. Here's the weird thing. Sometimes following God's vision makes no sense. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew in that moment only people who were the real deal would have stayed when those chains were loosened. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I know this is a dramatic story, and we don't often view our lives as being quite this dramatic. But I think there are a lot of things about the way Paul responds in this moment and what happens to Paul that says a lot about our lives right here today on the ground. And how we ought to respond to following the vision that God has set in our heads and hearts. So how does Paul's story help shape your faith? I think the first thing is, when the Spirit leads you, following will not always be easy. I think this is like the greatest Christian misconception is something like, if I get into the God lane, it's only green lights, baby. We're not going to have any traffic. There won't be any accidents. No wrong turns. Because I'm in the God lane. And then what happens is you get in the God lane. You feel like you're following after the vision for your life. You get in the God lane and something happens. and You're like, whoa, I'm clearly in the wrong lane. Or, whoa, I'm clearly following the wrong God. Sometimes that shuts people off from faith entirely. Because of the obstacles they face when they think they're in The God lane. It's just a straight shot to the bullseye. That is not the case. Think about it this way. 
it didn't happen for Jesus that way, it's probably not going to happen for you. Not like it's always hard. Sometimes it's not. But oftentimes there are obstacles in our path. Why is that the case? Well, again, there is a very real spiritual reality. And I know that you've felt it in different places in your life. And even if you haven't considered yourself particularly religious in the past, you have felt that when you have experienced a success, a mountaintop in your life, it seems always to be followed by an obstacle or something that drags you back down. I think in the Christian faith, we say that there is a spiritual battle going on there. That there's opposition to the God path. That if, because think about it just logically. If you're following God's will for your life, naturally, the enemy is going to put up some roadblocks and some obstacles. Because it does not want you to get there. And oftentimes we hit the wall, we hit the obstacle. We take a beating. We find ourselves in jail. We have some things go wrong. And that's when most people give up. And listen, if we're really trusting God and we're on the wrong path, he'll lead us out of there. But usually it just takes us continuing to move forward, to trust, to keep singing hymns and praying that God's going to get us through that wall, that the earthquake's going to happen, the miracle's going to show up. It won't always just be easy. There certainly often are obstacles and you'll be tempted to say did I miss the signs right did I get the vision wrong did I somehow misread it probably not you're probably exactly where you're supposed to be but that may take you further than you thought you'd ever go you might have to cross a sea to go to a place that you never thought you'd end up And second, when the Spirit leads, following won't always make sense. (laughs) Your chains are gone. Now stay put. That was essentially what happened to Paul. You're free. Now don't go anywhere. Because this guy clearly needs you to stay. And oftentimes, it doesn't make sense for you, but it really doesn't make sense for other people in your life. How many of you have felt this before? I've felt this before where I'll do something. I feel God's calling me to do something. And somebody in my life, like a family member, somebody's just like, ah, what's that all about? Ooh, that was an interesting decision. I know. I know it doesn't make sense to you, but I feel this is what God's telling me to do. It's all about listening. It's all about listening to God. And here's the thing. And here's the, the punchline of all of this. When you follow, the road leads to joy. Here's the the paradox of the Christian life, that unless you're living it, people don't understand. I could choose in my life to to live a completely a-religious life. I could decide, you know what? God is a crutch for the weak-minded. God is, uh, you know, a figment of our religious imagination. And so I'm just going to go about my life doing whatever I can to do two things, avoid pain and increase pleasure. So I I try to avoid pain wherever I can. I try to make sure that I have a good job, good money, good family, all the things that I want and think I need in life. And that will be a much easier path than trying to follow this vision that seems to have all these obstacles on it. 
Now, at first glance, you might say, well, okay, that's reasonable. Well, that's not how it works. When you're trying to follow, what you're trying to do is to fill your life with joy without opening yourself up to joy. You're trying to have a joyful life based on you and your circumstance. And it never works out that way. Because you're trying to fill a hole that only God can fill. But you'll try to fill that thing with all sorts of stuff. Now here's the, here's the paradox of the Christian life. Following after God's purpose for you might look like from the outside, it's got a lot more obstacles. It takes more faith. you got to put yourself out there more. You gotta, and yet, what happens in the process of fulfilling your created purpose, that's moving in that great commission direction, the byproduct for you is joy. And you're going to go through this Christian life. No matter what happens in it, you're going to actually experience more joy than you would if you would have gone the other way. There is joy in the journey of following in the way of Jesus. And, moreover, you're going to bring joy to other people. Think about if Paul and Silas gave up, or if they took off when their chains were freed. This jailer and his whole household would have missed out on what the jailer says at the end, is the joy of believing in God. Your vision... Your dream, the thing that God has placed in your life to pull you in this direction is going to bring joy to you and to people around you. And that's the thing. That's the thing that's hard to explain. Because we all try to avoid pain if we can, right? We all try to avoid challenge. And yet, I don't know about you, a lot of time it's through my life's greatest challenges that the greatest things have happened. My prayer for us, first of all, is that if you don't feel like you've had a vision from God for your life, ask him for it. You'll probably discover he's been telling you all along. And that vision will change throughout the course of your life. I don't believe God just gives you one vision usually and like, that's it, because that means you're not changing. You're not growing and moving forward. I think there's probably a different vision for a different season that our life is in. It's about listening and tuning in. But when you do, when you do, my prayer is that you will trust in the one who's given you that vision. That he has a plan and a purpose and a future for you. Despite all the things that might happen in that process, you're going to experience the abundant joy of a life lived in faith. This is a story that shapes my faith, and I pray that it shapes yours. Amen. Amen.